0: hi everyone welcome to the art of money podcast where i share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences beliefs and relationships infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement i am barry tesler a financial therapist author and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget And hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, BarryTesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome today I have the honor of interviewing Carrie Van Winkle, and she is one of the TAs, one of the teaching assistants, which we lovingly refer to as transformational assistants, in my year-long Art of Money program. She's been a TA for the last two years. She's going to continue again um, for her third year as a TA, and then she took the Art of Money course a year before that. So. Um, I am so excited and honored to get to interview Carrie today to hear more about her work as a financial planner and advisor. And here is her official bio and then we'll we'll get to say hello to her. So Carrie B. Van Winkle is a certified financial planner. She is a socially responsible investment advisor and financial planner. She helps smart and soulful women and couples thrive in their money life, create the life they envision, and align their values with their investments through her signature approaches to financial planning and socially responsible investing. She works closely with her clients to create investment strategies that match their concerns about how they are impacting the world, such as green energy, climate change, soil health, sustainable food systems, diversity in the workplace, economic and social justice, and human rights. Kerry is part of Natural Investments LLC, a collaborative group of 15 independent fee-only advisors across the US who specialize in socially responsible investing. Kerry volunteers as a member of the leadership team of Slow Money Kentucky, which he co-founded in 2013. On a more personal note, Kerry is a proud auntie local foodie, spirited traveler, modern-day tree hugger, and loves to hike with her husband, Richard. Carrie, welcome. Thank
2: you. Thank you, Barry. It's great to talk with you.
1: I know. I'm so excited. So this is such a big topic, um, thinking about our future, planning for savings, or saving, you know, and then planning mm-hmm. for saving. What is that? What's the difference between saving and retirement and thinking about the future and planning for the future, and then how do we go about doing it in a way that's in alignment with our values? So I'm so excited. So let's begin, okay, because so much to talk about. Um, I always like to begin by asking you to please share, you know, who you are, how you got started, um, and your approach to working with people around this area. So tell us a little bit of... How this all began and where you're at right now? Well, I actually
2: started uh, at, in social work. I had my master's in social work and thought that that was the way that I could best be kind of put in a position to help people and create change in the world. And um, did that. It was in uh, leadership positions and nonprofits for over 10 years and really loved the work um, and also found myself um, going down a path that was a bit unexpected. I had started to uh, develop and implement programs in within the nonprofits I was working in that were about personal finance and your personal money life. And they really uh, – resonated for me the power that that can really have in truly changing someone's lives and even creating generational change um and then i loved it i found myself really geeking out about it and getting nerdy with things that other people found terribly boring you know so i found that personally i just loved it as well so um after several years i realized That's my work. This is my work that everything's been kind of leading towards, and that's when I um, got on the path to become a certified financial planner and became a licensed investment advisor and then really uh, jumped in with both feet into something that personally I was already uh, doing and very interested in, which is the socially responsive investing
1: I somehow always forget that you're trained as a social worker. I don't know how I forget that. That's like such a key yes. piece to who you are and to your story, you know, and and to our shared backgrounds. Yes, um, I love
2: the I love the overlap of where you've come from, how you've evolved, the work that you do, and then and then we, You know, it's we both started from places that we just definitely never probably saw ourselves being
1: being in now. You know. <laughs> Can you share just a tiny bit more of the story of, you know, as a social worker, even if you're, you know, working in high-level leadership, you, you're making more certainly then. Um, but usually the, there's a ceiling on what you can make, and you're doing oh, yeah. such amazing work, and then there's a ceiling. And, you know, for me, I, was, I wasn't I was in leadership positions. I was working as a counselor, but I had a master's degree, and I always tell the story I was making $11 an hour and couldn't move from there. So chose to, yeah. you know, do something else. I thought for a second, wow, this field is paid so low, it's not valued. Maybe I'm going to take that on, you know, and become an activist around that. And then I chose not to. Um, I chose to go a different route. Can you just tell a little bit about your personal story, you know, as a social sure. worker and – what happened there, and did you have a moment of not being able to do self care or what you know what led you in addition to starting to create money plans for people that you were working with and starting to geek out about the language of money and you know how to manage and all of that, but a little- share a little bit about personally what was going on
2: sure um so it's my my unfolding is is a bit different than yours for sure in in some ways there, which is I, you know, after I got out of undergrad, I um majored in psychology and anthropology and when I got done with that, I I never thought that I would, you know, move back home, continue to live in Kentucky. I always thought, you know, I'm launching into the bigger world, <laughs> you know. And then but the reality was I had a lot, I had uh almost $30,000 in student loans, which is at that time was a lot of money. And then, you know, with the de- my degrees, I I also was just earning very little. I got a job at a health department um, doing what they called social work uh, and case management for a number of different programs, which just really opened me up to w- the working world um, and what I loved and what I didn't love. And, you know, so it was great, but it wasn't – it. It barely paid the bills and it barely paid my student loan payments even when I was living at home with my mom, you know, so I, that, that's where I really felt the pressure that I had to do something different. I couldn't survive on that, Hmm. that, you know, I couldn't stay there, so that's what really motivated me to get my master's degree and I felt like, okay, this is going to help me get to another level of income and and really, then, for a long period, you know, I was learning things like I was reading the books about you know nice girls get the corner office, and you know eventually, I started kind of awakening a bit to um, not just waiting for people to see the hard work that I was doing, the good work I was doing, and Uh, acknowledge that monetarily, (laughs) I eventually was awakening to the reality that I was going to have to do things myself, be more proactive to make that happen and be paid more fairly, even within those nonprofit jobs. Um, So I was working in that direction, but I wasn't ever thinking for so long, I was not thinking my true calling is outside of the nonprofit space. Um, And I definitely didn't take the leap into starting my own business to do this work. Uh because of that financial push. It was really so much of this is what I know I'm supposed to be doing and this is how I have to do it. You know, this is I, I yeah. have to start my own business. I have to work in this format to be able to do this work. And then I started pretty quickly after starting my own business, I got into the muck of my money mindset and my relationship with money in a whole new way of, oh, my gosh, I have to ask people to pay me money for doing this work that I do with them, and um, and especially coming from a nonprofit background and a social work background, I had a lot of money mindset stuff to work through, so that's that was really kind of that time that I had to dive in and, and really do the hard work. <laughs> Got it,
1: and when you were yeah. social, you know, when you were working those nonprofit jobs, Um, were you able to have any success with asking for more and getting more, or was there just simply ceilings in all the places that you were working with? And you could ask in all these different ways, and they just did not have the funds. Or did you have some success there? I did to a degree. Um, I also really
2: hit some ceilings uh, with, when I was pushing for those, you know, the longer it went on, I was getting more and more into my 30s and feeling more like this is, this is, I'm supposed to take care of myself, myself, I'm supposed to, you know, uh, be, you know, I believe I've always like had this like, justice, strong sense of justice, mm-hmm. and what's right, and So that kind of drove me that sense of justice, like knowing that another, you know, even within the nonprofit world, like the gender pay gaps are Mm. very much there. Um, And so I encountered a lot of that. Yeah, but I did have success. Uh, I remember there were kind of a few really pivotal times where I negotiated and uh, had success, got yeses that felt really important. Yeah.
1: Okay. A lot of people have questions about that, you know, inside the art of money community, outside, you know, just how do you negotiate? How do you ask for more? How do you step up? You know, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, can you, can you give one tip on how you did that? And then we'll move on to savings and investing. But just one tip on what you did at that time um, to get a yes.
2: Uh. I would say um actually I'll I'll share a couple of things. Great. One one is you know for me this is nothing new to people who have read anything about negotiating but you know for me it, it gave me confidence to feel equipped with information. And I'm a I'm a researcher, I'm a fact funder anyway, so I like to have I like to be equipped with information. And so mm-hmm. I, that really helped me feel confident. Um to feel like I had some important information to go into the conversations with. And then the, a, a mindset piece of it was really like going in scared and uh, and and being willing to do it anyway and move through a really hard conversation, you know. Okay. Um, yeah. Hmm.
1: And meaning equipped with information, meaning equipped with how much people are getting paid um, in yes. similar positions, in other nonprofit companies in your area, outside your area, how much men are getting paid, how much women are getting paid, all of that.
2: Yes, so very, you know, some of it was broader uh like comparable salaries for comparable positions that I could find on the internet at that time, and then some of it was more specific about knowing um, what people, other people within the organization were making, mm, some, some of that you can find
1: online, you know, within nonprofits. And so, yeah, okay. um, that was helpful. Very good. Very good. Yeah, this maybe you go online and research all this, but it's just still so, so good to hear, you know. And then mm-hmm. the, your second point about you were scared <laughs> and you yeah. stepped up and did it anyway, you know. And with being afraid, being anxious or whatever it was, you – still did it and that's a success you know being able yeah. to just ask for something even when we're afraid to you know we're in the afraid fear, of a lot of things yeah
2: go ahead yes and and i'd say also the fear of being judged you know the fear of uh the fear of being perceived as out for myself you know selfish greedy well this poor non-profit they can't afford to pay you that takes mm. away from other you know Oh, my gosh, there's just so much there. Okay.
1: <laughs> so many beliefs and mindsets
2: within
1: yes. nonprofit world, social work world, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should just do this good work. You shouldn't be, you know, looking to take care of your own needs and all of that. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So let's – that's all wonderful. Let's, let's segue into um, savings and investing. Let's start there. Okay, so um, I know you talk about, and I think this is connected, the long game, you say, is a vital part of wealth building and financial freedom and retirement. So I'd love you to talk about that and then also talk about the difference of saving and investing and how they connect. Yeah, so I um,
2: have realized in my work with people that – the long game is really challenging, and maybe the most challenging, in some ways, the most challenging part of um, the of taking action in our money life. Uh, and I've, a lot of, not all my clients, but a good number of my clients are entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs, in my experience, often are not focused on the long game. Things can, you know, things can change as an entrepreneur. Like you might have a ninety-day plan or a year plan, but the long game, meaning like when we're talking about wealth building timeline and saving for retirement or financial freedom timeline, you know, that could be ten, twenty, or more years, and that can be really challenging for people to sink their teeth into.
1: Hmm. And why? Because. I mean, I know some people, it's really easy to think about the future. They always are planners thinking about the future. As others of us, it's not so easy. It's a muscle we have to train (laughs) over and over to think about that. Is it just different nature, personality types? I think that, yes,
2: what I've seen is um, a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be a quick start. And if there's uh, one of the kind of personality traits, work, work personality trait test called the Colby's, it's, they've got four numbers there. And one of the numbers is uh, how much of a quick start are you? So I'm pretty low for an entrepreneur on the quick start scale. <laughs> but most of my, my people who are, that I'm around and work with or clients, they're pretty high on the quick start scale if they're entrepreneurs. And that works really well to help them be successful entrepreneurs in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're, they do things. They get things done. They have ideas. Um, they're making things happen. But a lot of that action they're taking is in the short term. And right. it's just a diff- – yeah, it's, diff- it's not a dopamine hit. You know, that's a dopamine hit. <laughs> like, and you don't get that same dopamine hit when you're working towards a long-term goal.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: think financial
1: planners as a whole are more long-term thinkers. Um, yeah. That's that's why you're in the field, <laughs> you know. That's mm-hmm. part of it at that juncture when I thought, oh, should I, you know, become a financial planner or continue on integrating my psychotherapy and bookkeeping and all that. I was like, no, I'm going to do this, you know. Um, yeah. So talk to me about, like, okay, so – Talk to me about saving and investing, and what does it mean to start saving now? Like what short-term, mid-term, long-term? What, what does all of this mean? Start explaining it to us. Okay. So
2: I'll start with the saving versus investing. This is one of those good questions that I'll get from uh, clients, especially when they're in their 30s and 40s um, is, uh when do and actually i just had a couple in my office in the last week who were asking you know we're starting to accumulate some money in our savings account when do we think about investing that money and so say so what what i talked them through and what i would tell other people is saving is really about um a shorter term money goal and for me shorter term would be 1 to 3 years is a kind of general okay. rule of thumb there yeah and in, in savings you it's uh, savings has a different purpose so than investing so what's the purpose of savings it might be emergency savings that we're talking about it might be towards a money goal that you have in the next few years so it might be a big anniversary trip it might be um you know, all those money goals you might have in the next three years. The, the, those, uh, you want to keep that money protected in something that is, you're not going to have to worry about losing the principal there, losing the, you know, if you if you have $5,000 saved, you don't want to have to worry about losing any of that $5,000. You want to keep it protected, and you want to keep it accessible, and the word I would use also is liquid. So liquid means you can access it at any time um, as soon as you need it versus so, some longer-term investments are, might not be liquid, and you might not be able to turn them into cash, like your house. Your house is an illiquid investment, You know, so it takes a longer time to turn it around and turn that investment into cash versus money in a savings account. You can get back to that almost immediately,
1: right? You know, in our family, we don't call it emergency because we're not looking for emergencies. You know, and I think language is so important. So we call it peace of mind savings, or refer 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 to it as our cash flow savings. You know, Um, so that things happen, life happens. You know, and there's liquid, accessible cash um, that's there, right? And then maybe a separate little savings one would be for a trip to. Europe or Iceland or, you know, wherever Mm -hmm. we're trying to get ourselves to, you know, and Mm -hmm. that that is more short-term. But I like to be really aware of what we're naming it. So instead of this is our emergency savings, it's our peace of mind savings, or it's our cash flow (laughs) that we can immediately access when things happen, you know, and then maybe a little separate one for a goal or a few separate ones for a few goals, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes.
1: So that's – Go mm -hmm.
2: ahead. And then investing is really um, about that's a way to build um, on money that you save uh, for longer-term goals. So typically we think of the long-term, you know, the longest game we're playing is really to become financially free or financially independent or retired. Those are, to me, kind of all the same thing. It means that you're not dependent on Generating money from work that you're doing to um, to live a certain level of lifestyle that you want to live. And mm-hmm.
1: can we talk about that? Because yeah, I, on some level, I feel like that's a myth, or that's just changed. Mm. It's not a myth, but it it was the case when people worked for companies for years and years and years, and you know, were saving retirement, or you know, the company was just taking out their retirement and investing it all along the way, you know, and then they reach an age and then there it is, you know. As entrepreneurs, it's a lot harder to be paying for taxes, saving for now, for cash flow, saving for retirement. Um, what What's the reality, you know, yeah. uh, or the percentage of people that actually save for the future? Or do many of us still choose to learn, work in our later years Are many of us trying to find really creative options of how to live later on. Like is is that old paradigm of retirement changing or, you know, are there just a few different versions of it?
2: I definitely think the old paradigm is changing. And, you know, my grandfather retired from GE at 60, you know, the day he turned 65. Um, he worked the lawn at GE for 30 years or however long and then he retired and that was it you know then he got his pension and um, his social security and you know moved, and lived out his retirement and that's not that's not reality for a lot of people including a lot of baby boomers um, anymore people don't have pensions, or if they do, they're relatively small compared to what they used to be. Um, and then I think a lot, especially um, Gen X and younger, just had a different money reality from the start. Um, no no pensions, unless you're a teacher or a police officer, maybe, you know? yeah. um, but no pensions, um, student loan debt, longer to get into the workforce, especially if you're an entrepreneur, Then you've had kind of the varying, you know, ups and downs of building your business and pivoting and all of that. And so and then, you know, kit the medical expenses and kids. And yeah, so I think there's so much more that people are going through now uh, with financial challenges or financial needs. And then at the same time, don't have the financial support built in that people used to have. So. Yeah, I don't mean to be so heavy, but I I think that's—I think it honors the reality of
1: what a lot of people are experiencing to acknowledge it. So for those, and then we'll move back into you know more about investments Mm -hmm. and what people can do and how to incorporate our values and what is socially responsible investing. But give us some hope of you know just you know it's a different reality. So and there have been a lot more challenges or different challenges, and so. Can you share just a few scenarios of of it working out, or different ways of going about our later years yes. that you've seen? So, yes. So I think uh, now the
2: opportunity um, is more in the world that you and I live in, Barry, which is being creative about how we live and um, being seeing the seeing the possibility of. Uh, New ways of bringing in income uh, you know we're not just going to the local fortune 500 company and trying to get a job and retire from that in you know 20 years or whatever um, but having our own businesses and there's a lot of opportunity and for me one of the exciting things is uh, it gives us a way to to ex- it gives us a way to create phases of life In our later years of life so we don't just have this cutoff point of retired 65 I'm done which a lot of people don't want to do anyway especially not if they love their work and love to share their gifts in the world so it it gives us ways to think outside of that box uh, to continue to bring in money now but in also the longer we can be intentional about it the more I feel like we have choices Um, at each of those stages so for me the ideal with the client would help them create more choices that they're excited about in their life and yeah Mm -hmm. keep going no
1: keep going create more choices
2: uh yeah and so whether they are you know 60 um and realizing wow i didn't save as much as i now i see i wish i had had of you know, there's. I've had conversations with my clients that are entering that phase of their life about what's possible now and um, how you can create income now that you we would never have thought about twenty years ago. You know, um, all the way to younger and just just knowing. We are, we have to think about this differently, these later phases of life,
1: and we have the opportunity to think about this differently. Yeah. Do you ever collaborate with any coaches that work with older women um, at those phases to help them think about well, creative options? Yeah.
2: I haven't yet, but I, there there is there are conversations that I'm having with clients um you know, in their sixties, for example, or maybe late fifties, who are—I'm having those conversations one-on-one. You know, but it would be—it
1: could be very powerful to do that in a yeah. group with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So good to know that. So, so let's get more concrete about retirement and investing. Mm-hmm. And do you want to start with retirement is about pools and streams? What is that? Oh yeah. Okay. Mean? And then yeah, and then you you say there's a common piece of investing advice that you totally disagree with. So, okay. I'm sure there So yeah. So pools and streams. So
2: this is something that I talk to clients about, and uh, it gives a visual to how to think about um, building wealth or building savings for retirement, and so. When we save or when we invest for the long term, we are creating probably a pool of money. So that's like a, if you think about a 401K or you think about um, a SEP IRA, you know, whatever you're using to save in a retirement account. Um, so that's, that's essentially a pool of money that you're saving in this account. It becomes a bigger, deeper pool um a stream of money would be a pension or social security. So that's something that you can't liquidate all at one time if you wanted to. Now there might be some gray area there. So but in generally we don't think of these things as being able to liquidate. Uh you know, you you get a pay you get a certain amount that comes to you every month for a long a period of time. Got it. An annuity might be that, too, if anybody's familiar with annuities. So that's creating that stream of money. Um, And then the pool of money, you could really, if you really had to, you could get into that pool and cash it all out. You know, we've done that when we were in our 20s, right? We got into that pool. I got into my $5,000 pool of my uh, 401K. and cashed it out and traveled so i would not advise it
1: (laughs) you would not advise it but at that right so we did that uh, with a sap ira um after we had our son noah um and we you know went through some savings quickly there was i was in a big recovery phase and we took out some cash from a sap ira and would i do it again yeah (laughs) you know so even though you know it just that's what was needed to help us through that huge transition? Yes, there was a yeah. tax hit or there was a penalty or something. But even with that, yes, we, we, you know, in a in a big transition, you need cash flow, right? And yeah. um, we we're grateful that we had tucked that away um, mm-hmm. to use during that time. So it set us back as far as our retirement, but it was what we needed to do at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So and if we're if
2: we're going towards the total ideal. You have a nice stream and you have a nice pool, but what I find is most people have more of one or the other. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: Yeah, exactly. and so you just want to be aware that what what do you have and what can you do to complement that with a stream or a pool? Now, I do not mean go out and buy an annuity, actually, but yeah. I'm a really I'm not. Yeah, um, but I do mean just the the consciousness and the awareness and understanding of what you've got already and then how you can be strategic in making sure you've got the right kind of money that you need later. Um, mm-hmm. And that a pool, then if it becomes big enough, this is the other question people ask me. Well, if I have, you know, if I have um, $200,000 in my 401k, i Can I live off of that? How long can I live off of that? So what I explain is the pool can grow large enough where it can become a stream, but if it's not big enough, it stays a pool and so for me, why that matters is if you've got two or three hundred thousand dollars sometimes you know people can feel like wow that's I've got a lot of money there um I, I What I can see from my perspective in working with people of all different incomes and all different expense needs is that two or three hundred thousand dollars can go fairly quickly, and so it's not an amount that really you can live on as a stream for very long. So then what I talk to people about is that then becomes your sacred pool, and that it has very clear purposes. But it's not, to, it's not for your day-to-day living fund, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, then there are other, and then they might just have to continue to create the stream by bringing in income actively by working or, you know, uh, whatever that is. But then once you get that pool, once you get that account big enough, when it gets to four or five and bigger, $100,000, then that's where you can actually start to live off some of that, where it becomes a stream of income as well for you. Got
1: um, it. And it yeah. all depends on where you live in the world, where of you course. live in the country, you know, because some people of could easily live on 200000 and, you know, um, be very simple and frugal, right? And other people, yes. if they're used to a certain lifestyle, then that's not going to cut it, right?
2: Yeah. And I just threw out some numbers to kind of give you a sense of things, but you're so right. I, I totally agree. It just
1: yeah. very
2: much depends on that person's situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you want to segue into a piece of investment advice that you disagree with? Have you said what sure. that is yeah. yet? Okay. Yeah.
2: So I will hear, even some from some people who are my favorite money people that who I really love, they will say, um, don't invest in things you don't understand. And I always just get a little catch in my belly when I hear mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. because, For me, um, sometimes I can be a little literal maybe, (laughs) too literal. And this advice, when I hear it, I think, I feel like that is uh, kind of ripe for misinterpretation. And I feel like there's a lot of fear that paralyzes people around investing already and then giving them this guide that, well, you you better understand it if you're going to invest in it right. is a lot of pressure and that it just adds to their fear and paralysis.
1: Okay. So that's really important because we are so afraid of investing, right? Yeah. Women yeah. are more than men um, traditionally. That's not always the mm-hmm. case, right? So and there's so much to learn and so how do we even go about it and you know i'm just you know you really it needs to be in small increments and we learn a little bit as we go and we ask questions and we're brave and we sit down with a financial planner or you know just to interview them and we don't know everything so that's more of my style which i think is similar to yours is we're going to learn as we go we're going to learn in increments we're not gonna, we don't have to know everything before we begin um right? And so, so share, share a little bit about how this goes. Yeah. About, so you're kind of describing people who are like, I'm going to do it myself, or I'm going to learn everything, which is so wonderful to learn and and become educated in this area. So share a little bit about this terrain.
2: Yes. So I think of this like, um, I have a hybrid that I just got this about a year ago. And so I knew that's I had to get a new car on me, that's what I wanted. I don't I couldn't tell you how it works. Right. I have you know, I know what I need to do. I need, and I know what I need to know. But I don't expect myself to know to to know exactly how that hybrid system works, how to even go in and change the oil. You know, I know that I have people that I can go to to be the experts for that. Um, so, and I think it's similar with our money life, especially when we get into areas that are, um, a little more complex, like investing. So I don't, I just want people to know that you don't have to be the expert and it's just about learning what your role is, knowing what you really need to know. Um, and also listening to your gut, yeah. So, yeah. yes, and like you said, all of that, being brave, speaking up, even if you feel like you're going to sound stupid, you know, like uh, getting into the conversation, asking questions. For me, one of the important things that my clients experience is that they always leave our conversations feeling a little more confident and a little more knowledgeable than when they started a the conversation, you know. And that's all. That's all that they have to, I would want them to experience. I just don't want them to feel this huge pressure to like be the expert, you know, on all of this stuff. So
1: So this is so important because, you know, there's some people that will want to learn everything and do it themselves mm-hmm. and do their investing by themselves. There will be that crew, right? Sure. And within that there may be some people who are just um hesitant or not trusting of the field or who do I trust or who do I go to or how do I know if they're an expert or why are they an expert, or you know. So those are all valid questions. I think one of the things I've learned over the years is that, Um, I need a financial team. I don't have to know everything. Um, I want to learn parts of it, certainly, you know, and I need to – I want to be able to ask new questions every time I go in or every time I get on the phone with my financial planner or or every time we show up in our accountant's office or so on, right? I'm constantly asking new questions, but I'm – And even, you know, in moments at the beginning, I certainly felt stupid. You know, I don't know any of this, you know. But I also feel like it's okay to have someone on my team. It's okay to have someone to support me. Um, And there was a big thing when I learned about the difference between fee-only financial planning and someone who just gets, you know, gets paid by investing um, for us and gets paid by the insurances that we choose and all that. So, Will you even just clarify the difference there and why you are fee-only advisor and mm-hmm. the whole crew of you is fee-only. Mm-hmm. And that's such yes. a big difference in the field, right? Yes. And I, be, you know,
2: when I was, uh, before I ever thought I was going to be an investment advisor, and I, I needed help, and I went to somebody who, uh, was recommended. I, she seemed trusted. She was friendly. She's, she was helpful. And I sat across the table from her and told her what I wanted. And I wanted to do, you know, open the retirement account. I wanted to do socially responsive investing. And she just looked at me very like, uh, like, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> you know, you, mm-hmm. you, um, I, and she said, Carrie, I want you to make money you know and so for me I'm, that's a little off but for me it was No it's related. It's yeah. related. <laughs> and and later I found out I I was going to her as an investment advisor. I thought she was like more I I didn't understand what she was. And then later I found out oh She's an insurance agent. She sells insurance. Mm-hmm. So, I was really expecting her to serve a certain role for me that just wasn't working and then but she portrayed herself as a fit for what I Got needed. You. Yeah, and it was she was an insurance agent. She sold insurance and that's how she made her money. So, of course, when she came to me and my husband who do not have children and we were in our 20s and we already knew we weren't going to have kids, and said, "You need to buy an annuity." You know, it was just like it just didn't resonate at the time. I had I didn't understand why, but now I see like that was not appropriate for us. You know, so there's and nothing so, like,
1: wrong with selling insurance, right? We all no, we need insurance. insurance. Like we, I love yes. my. I'm, it was a huge step to buy life insurance. Yes, for my husband. Yeah, and I, I don't. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't mean to say that. I what I
2: what I want My point, really, uh, and thank you for kind of making that point. Which my point is more. Really understanding, like, what that person's expertise is and how yeah. they get paid. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. so important. And, you know, people who sell insurance, it's wonderful. You also want to find someone you connect with, you trust, you, you know, yeah. you feel you have similar um, uh, perspectives, worldviews, philosophy, right? That's important to me when when working with someone. So mm-hmm. the other thing with her is that she didn't clarify who she was and who she wasn't, right? And um, what she was also kind of saying was socially responsible investing doesn't make money or doesn't make as much as other investments, which is mostly true. But, again, that's a choice that we get to make. And if we want to do socially responsible investing, then that's – and if that if that's important to us, then we need to find someone who's into that. So, you know – Share a little bit about the difference between socially responsible investing, regular investing. What does that even mean? Um, What does bringing your values to your investing mean and all of that? Okay. So if you compare
2: um, as much apples to apples as you compare to investments, there is plenty of research, um, especially over the last 10 years, that is showing very strongly that, you do not have to sacrifice performance of your investments mm. to some way align them with their values. So it is still a very big propagated myth in the convention, mm. conventional investing world that you, of course, you'd have to sacrifice performance if you're going to you know, um, do socially responsive investing, but more, you know, there are always new research reports coming out that show that that's not the case. Mm. Um, yeah, and so what? Okay, so t- ask me again. What What do you want me to talk yeah. about
1: there? Oh, all of it. I always ask like three questions at one time. So, um, <laughs> what does it mean to align your values with your investment? So t- activism in investing. Like, what does that mean to people? Okay. How can they do it through socially responsible investing? Question two. <laughs> and a few examples. Question number three. I can clarify any of those as we go, but this is okay. the terrain that I want to hear more about. Yeah. Okay. So um, for me,
2: I I feel like I have an activist heart, and especially right now that word is just resonating with me more than ever. I, I think some people it resonates with, some people it doesn't. But I think what a lot of people – Uh, who are in your community do identify with in some way is feeling like they bring their whole self to their money life. And their whole self includes their heart and their spirit, uh, what matters to them in the world. So what matters to them in their very personal life? And then also what matters to them in the actions that they're taking in the bigger world and the ripple effect that those actions are having. And so what, what socially responsive investing can do is it's an approach to investing that helps understand um, where we dive in and understand who you are, what your values are, and then where those values can be connected to your investment choices, either by things you don't want to invest in. So an easy one right now is fossil fuels. You know it might be fossil fuels, it might be
0: military,
2: yep, yeah, military. May, uh, gun manufacturers, military contractors, nuclear energy, um, those are some tobacco industry, those are some big ones, um, and, or, and, and or it can be aligning values that you want to be reflected in how you're investing in the positive side. So things that you want to support and see more of like renewable energy or sustainable agriculture or um Diversity in the workplace and their wages um so many different things can be reflected there
1: okay, and say more you yeah, say okay. more about yes yeah, keep going so and there so that's that's two of the
2: four strategies or approaches under that socially responsive investing umbrella, and also when I say socially responsive investing i really mean whatever you might mean you know so you could the terms include socially responsible investing green investing ethical investing impact investing you know there's just so many terms so i use that when i say that term i really am meaning kind of whatever fits under that umbrella and there are um, some subtleties to the differences and some of those terms for sure that we won't dive into right now but yeah, just know that I'm I'm speaking big big overview term there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, mm-hmm. so we've so there's two I mentioned. What you don't want to invest in, which is divesting or negative screening. What you do wanna invest in, which is positive screening or impact investing, and then also um the third approach or that the third method that's used with socially responsible investing is called um, shareholder act, uh, advocacy. So that's where uh, somebody is at a, a – I want to get real specific with <laughs> examples, but, you know, that's where you advocate as a shareholder with a company or you're a part of a group or a part of a mutual fund, a part of a nonprofit that's advocating with that company that owns shares of that company uh, for something that they want to see or against something they want to see. So, um, yeah, an issue that's important. And then um, the fourth of those uh, methods under socially responsive investing is community investing. So, that's really putting a percentage of um, our investment dollars into communities uh, that are in most that need. For economic development so usually that's um, in very urban areas and very rural areas that we see that the most happening and that's where you can consciously that's really of the four strategies that's the one that you can consciously say um, a lot of times those investments are not going to get a a comparable return to a conventional um, investment and that's where somebody might consciously say, "This is the portion of my investments that I want to go into community investing." Uh, community a lot of community investment is around micro enterprise. Okay. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And just define that um, for people that don't know what micro. An example yes. of micro enterprises. Yeah.
2: Yes. So if um, so, micro enterprise is really about. Uh, people who have very small businesses and it's often the term used uh, where, around investing or giving loans to micro business owners so it might be a hundred dollar loan a fifty dollar loan a thousand dollar loan to um, a lot of this the micro enterprise um, investment work is done internationally so it could be um a mama you know with a very small business In Uganda, um, who has gets fifty borrows fifty dollars for her business, and then she's able to grow and expand that business with that loan. Um, And then there's a lot of really awesome, especially over the last five years or so, more and more microenterprise loans happening around the United States um, with that the same concept: small loans um, and usually small, you know, small loans at low interest rates.
1: Yeah there's so much here you know so we're just yeah. starting to talk about right there's we're just starting to talk about how folks can integrate their values with their um you know with their investing right there's also yes. as you know in your work and my work we're helping people integrate their values into their earning and and their spending yes. and mm-hmm. their saving and their investing right so there's there's so much mm-hmm. more and we're just start, we're more focusing in this moment on the investing part So share a little bit more about how you work. I know this is one piece. It's a huge piece, Um, and this is the longer-term piece, right? I mean, it's starting now, but it's for 10, 20, 30, 40 years out, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Share a little bit more just your role, because I know you work as a financial coach as well and as a financial planner, and Mm -hmm. can you just describe that a little bit of how you're working, and it is the integration of helping people with their earning, spending, saving, loaning, giving, investing Mm -hmm. um, in the next three to five years and then long term. So can you just share a little bit of more of just your work, Uh, and do you separate out financial coaching and financial planning? Do you just do it all and call it one thing? Please clarify this for us.
2: Sure. So I would say the core of my work is really around um, helping people with their investments. And I I also knew that I didn't just want to have that focus. I, from the beginning, knew I wanted to help be able, be equipped to help people with the whole of their money life, Um, not just a siloed piece of it. So that's why I wanted to do become a certified financial planner so that I can really help them with look at the whole picture and then who they are bringing you know bringing that into their money life as well. And then I happened as I was in my nonprofit work, I happened to um, be go I went through some financial coaching trainings, which are really wonderful. and so I just met nat- I naturally bring that approach to my work. It's important for me that – so I don't do coaching separately, but I integrate the coaching approach into how I work with people in financial planning and investment advising. And I just find, you know, it's like the doctor. The doctor can tell you, like, Carrie, you need to, you know, lose 20 pounds and you need to not eat sugar and something, you know. And (laughs) he can tell me that all day long, and then I go home. It's easier said than done, you know. So – I feel like money advice is the same way or a money professional telling you, here's what you need to do, go home and do it. That's so much easier said than done. As you know, Barry, you're all about behavior change and, yeah. transform, you know, transformation with your relationship with money. So for me, I, I bring that into that nitty-gritty work with financial planning and with investment advising. It's, you know, like I said, I see people are – they come to me and they do still have often a lot of shame – around parts of their money life, they have been paralyzed. They've, inher- For example, they've inherited money, and they have very mixed feelings about that, and they want to be a good steward of that money, and they feel very paralyzed in how to do that, so they don't do anything. Um, or the business owner who's rocked it in their business, and the money is coming in now, and yet they're not feeling very different in their personal money life yet and they're not sure why not you know so they're bringing all that stuff in you know so that's where i bring that kind of coaching approach to really help them uh move forward and actually make a difference and make change in their money life as we do the work
1: wonderful wonderful is there any one last thing that you would love to share that you would feel this interview was incomplete if you didn't say it, knowing that there's at least ten more threads or ten more things that we can talk about. But I think this was a wonderful beginning introduction to you, Carrie, and to your work. Is there one more thing that you would love to share with everyone?
2: Yes. One more thing would be um, I feel very much a part of, um what i i feel like is happening now lynn twist talks about it um in her work about the feminine you know coming into equal partnership with the masculine in uh in the next hundred years and for me i feel very uh Uh, deeply connected to the work that I'm doing um, and rooted in, I guess. I feel very rooted in my why of why I'm doing this work is um, at a deeper level about helping particularly women um, feel more confident in their money life, be able to engage in their money life. And also, um, you know, you've interviewed Amanda Steinberg who talks about this where there's so many uh, maybe Barbara Stanley talks about this, but women are coming into economic opportunity. Uh, now, it's happening now, and it will continue to unfold in very powerful ways. And either we step in to that opportunity or we hand that over to someone else by by not dealing with it or by actually asking someone else to deal with it. And I just feel like I'm here at this time now to help women in their way, in their very personal way. It doesn't have to be big and wow, you know, but I feel like every woman who can engage more confidently in their money life in a way that feels good in their heart and in their belly, you know, sits well with them, um, that that's an important part of any positive change that we want to create. Uh, and so, yeah, I just wanted to share that's a really personal mm-hmm. part of my why I think, and
1: Love it. very t- Love timely it. for what's happening. So. It is, yes, 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 mm-hmm. to all of that. Mm-hmm. Carrie, thank you so much for thank you, being on today. Thank you so much. You know, I know all of this can be continued. Um, where can people find you? Is it com? I'm making that up. So, is that your is that your website? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh Carrie I use mostly I use Carrie B. Van Winkle, so
2: just the letter B, Carrie B. Van Winkle dot com. Um, and you can find me there. Uh yeah, and I would love to talk to anybody who has more questions or the community listening to this, we can get on the Facebook group and dig a little deeper.
1: Thank you so much, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Take good care. Bye
2: for Thanks, now. Thanks, Barry. Bye.
0: Hi again, thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul-deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.